Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 38. This is the next psalm in our study through the book of Psalms. We've been working our way since the summer of last year through the first 41 psalms in the 150 book collection of psalms. Psalms is a word for songs, and so that's why each sermon is called A Song About. And these songs were sung by Jesus Christ himself, so this sermon series is called The Songs of Our Savior. Songs that he sang. Songs that Jesus used to encourage his faith, and if they were good enough for Jesus, well then we've been arguing they're good enough for you. In addition to that, they're songs that ultimately are about Jesus. Songs of our Savior, as in they are pointing us to Jesus Christ. And I think we will find that very clearly in Psalm 38 today. Before we read the psalm, I want to ask you a little quiz question. I think it'll be fairly easy and obvious to understand the answer to this. Let's say you go home today and you have a leak in your pipes. You should call a plumber. If you have a problem with your car, then you might want to call a a mechanic. If you have an outlet or light switch not working in your house, then you should call an electrician. And if you or your children get sick, then you should call the elders of your church. And together, we will call upon the name of the Lord. We will confess our sins together. Because James chapter 5, we just read, said, if any of you are sick, let them call on the elders of the church. If you weren't paying attention to that scripture reading, you might have been tempted to say, if any of you are sick, you or your children, then call upon a doctor. Now, obviously, that is appropriate to do. But I wonder... As I have mentioned previously from this pulpit, how many of us actually believe James 5? As we'll see today in Psalm 38, how many of us believe that if we or our children get sick, that we should call upon the name of the Lord and we should confess our sin precisely because our sickness might be a result of our sin? David writes Psalm 38 because he is sick. And he specifically and repeatedly says that this sickness he is experiencing is because of sin. Why don't you read along with me Psalm 38 so you can find that this crazy idea, when you're sick, call upon the name of the Lord, is right from God's word. Psalm 38, a psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day long I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O oh Lord, 
All my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it is also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I'm like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said only, let them not rejoice over me, who boasts against me when my foot slips, for I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin, but my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Well, that ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And I pray that as we discuss Psalm 38, he will write this truth on our hearts. And if I would sum it up in one sentence, I would say we should use Psalm 38 when we get sick. You want a big idea, a takeaway from today's message? That's it. You should use Psalm 38, not just understand it, not just understand that the points it's making about God and sin, about salvation. Those things are extremely important, but you should use the Psalms. We've talked repeatedly throughout this sermon series that the Psalms are not just to be read and studied and theologically diagnosed and broken down. They should be used. So I would suggest to each of you, you should use Psalm 38 when you get sick. Will you? My hope and prayer is that after today's message, this will be a tool in your, your toolbox when you're not making, able to make it to church next week. Or when someone in your family has a fever. And I think that as we work through this idea, for many of us, this may seem strange or uncomfortable. I talked to some members of our church earlier this week and asked them about this, and they're like, no, why would I do that? Is that you? I have a suspicion that many of us may not want to take this big idea up. So today's sermon is going to be three reasons, three truths that I'm going to argue so that you will use Psalm 38 in your sickness. And here's the outline of the message. First reason, a truth that you must believe is that David's sickness is because of his sin. Second, David's sickness is because of his covenant with God. And third, David's sickness is because of God's love. And we're going to work through each of these reasons, and as we look at Psalm 38 and surrounding scriptures in the Bible, I think we'll be able to take away that Psalm 38 is a gift for us in moments of sickness, especially when we're suffering sickness as a result of sin. First, I think this is one of those points that's obvious from the text. It just flows naturally out of reading it on the first read. 
Verses 3 to 7, look back down. It says that David's sickness is because of his sin. It repeats it. There is no soundness in my flesh. Why, David? Why is there no peace? That's that Hebrew word shalom. Things in my life, they're all falling apart. It's because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. And then listen to the graphic language in verse 5. My wounds, they stink and fester. And it's precisely because of foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. My sides are filled with burning. And there is, again, no soundness, no shalom in my flesh. I'm feeble. I'm crushed. I'm groaning. Why, David? What's the deal? Because of the tumult of my heart, the troubles of his sin. Therefore, it would be wrong to think that every time you get sick, that it is never because of sin. That would be wrong. That would be an inappropriate conclusion. Do you all know the other side of that statement then? It would equally be wrong to think that every time you get sick, it's because of your sin. See verses 19 and 20 in our psalm. You don't even have to leave the psalm to see that sometimes suffering happens in this life, pain, sorrows, not because of sin, but because of you doing the very good thing that you should do. Verse 19, my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully, those who render me evil for good and accuse me because I follow after good. David's probably like many of you in this room. You do some good things and then you sin. Sometimes you do good things and you suffer for it. Sometimes you sin and you suffer for it. Psalm 38 is not telling you that every time you're sick, it's a direct result of something you did last night. But it could be. When we read our Bibles, we see that throughout the Old Testament, people got sick because of their sin. I don't want to presume all of you have read the Bibles front to back or have really memorized all the stories. So just a couple Bible stories to make sure you're all aware. The Bible teaches this. In Numbers chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron spoke out against God's servant leader, Moses, precisely because of a kind of racist prejudice of who he chose to marry. It says in verse 1 of Numbers chapter 12, because he married a Cushite woman. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, shouldn't you be afraid to speak against my, my servant? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against all of them. And when he departed, a cloud was removed over their tent. And behold, they looked, and Miriam was leprous like snow. Leprosy, as you might know, is a skin disease. So Miriam was whole and sound. Her flesh was doing just fine. She then sinned against God. And then God leaves the tent after speaking and addressing them. And she turns leprous. And then listen to the words after this. Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. It's not hard to read Numbers chapter 12 and realize that Miriam was sick because of her sin. One more example from the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 26, 19. King Uzziah was strong. He was a young king. He was 16 when he became the king over Israel. He was proud. And his pride got to his head. We shouldn't be surprised then that when 
He started to do things in the temple that he was not allowed to do, even though he was warned by priests, don't go into the temple. He did anyway, and he took a censer in his hand, and he tried to bring an offering of incense into the temple. And when he did so, leprosy broke out on his forehead. Seems ironic, doesn't it? Pride got to his head, and then leprosy got to his head immediately as he offered an incense offering. But that's just the Old Testament, right? Come on, guys. It's 2022. The Bible, you know, we know better. There's a New Testament, too. God was angry in the Old Testament, and after Jesus died on the cross, we know that he's just filled with love and grace. He does not do those kind of things anymore. Psalm 38, Numbers 12, 2 Chronicles. First, no, that is an inappropriate way of summarizing the whole Bible. The Old Testament's not God's full of anger, and the New Testament's full of God's love. Second, just in case you're wondering, the word testament, it's actually a Latin word, and it means covenant. The Bible is summarized in terms of Old Covenant and New Covenant. And you are either an Israelite in the Old Covenant, or you're a New Testament Christian in the New Covenant. It's not about, oh, that's the old stuff and that's the new stuff. It's about God's relationship with his people. One was called the Old Covenant, and one was called the New Covenant. We need to keep that in mind as we think about this covenantal relationship David has with God and then us as Christians in the New Testament. And third and most importantly, let's just say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not agree with that idea, but let's just say for the sake of example, the Old Testament's old, and we shouldn't apply it to our lives anymore as New Testament Christians. Well, what do you do if the New Testament says the same thing the Old Testament does about getting sick because of sin? We already read from James 5 that if anyone is sick, they should call the elders of the church. They should anoint their head with oil. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise them up. And then if they've committed sins, he will be forgiven. If they committed sins. They may be sick precisely because of their sin. But it's an if. It's a conditional clause. It's not presuming that everybody's sick because of their sin. But they might be. And therefore, they should confess their sins to one another. And they might be healed. Or as we take the Lord's Supper, we very often read the passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll do that again today, but prior to that little reading that we do every week at this church, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that says, If you eat or drink the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner, you will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So therefore examine oneself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, they will eat and drink judgment on themselves. And then here's the line. That is why many of you are weak and ill. And some of you have died. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a group of people get together at a local church gathering in a home in Corinth. The rich despise and look down upon the poor. They eat all of the food. Lord's Supper wasn't a little cracker or a little cup of juice. It was a meal in a home. And as they shared that meal, some people would get later because they were working. But the older, richer, wealthy in the church, they just go ahead and feed themselves and stuff themselves. Some of them drink so much of the wine at the Lord's table that they get drunk. Anybody think that that sounds like a a godly church gathering, or a very irregular, inappropriate church gathering. A bunch of drunk people, poor people come in, and there's no food for you. 
This is precisely the situation Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 11. And then he says, don't you realize if you looked around in your church, some of you are sick right now because of your sin. Some of you have even died. All right, I, I see the case. Old Testament, New Testament. But what if I don't believe that the Bible is as relevant today? You know, those things don't happen. The, Bible, the whole Bible is old. Personal experience. I used to live in Washington, D.C., there was a, a young man that was interested in following Jesus. We were meeting up on a regular basis. We met playing basketball together. And one of these meetings I will never forget because it drove home this very point. He was sharing and confessing that he was sick, like having all kinds of problems with his physical body, and that he kept seeing doctors, and they didn't know what to do. As he continued to meet with me, he started to share that he was living in an immoral, inappropriate relationship with a young lady. And he said the more that we met together, the more that he started to feel sick about the way that he was living. And then one day he showed up and he met with me for a lunch, Union Station. I can remember the place. I remember the table. It's one of those vivid memories where he said, Pastor Phil, I can't, I wasn't a pastor, but he said, Phil, <laughs> seminary student Phil, I got to tell you the, the best news. I told my girlfriend I wanted to follow Jesus. I moved out of our apartment. I got my own place. I confessed my sin. I feel better. I feel healed. He got baptized. I would then later meet with him and his girlfriend, and then she would come to faith in Jesus. Hmm. What do we do with that sort of experience? Doctors didn't know what to do had no prescription to tell him why his stomach was in knots, why he had these massive migraines and headaches. He felt sick and sick the more he tried to obey God and follow his sin. And then he confessed his sin, turned from his sin, repented, and he was healed. Sometimes people get sick in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and in Washington, D.C., because they're sinning. I wonder if there's anyone here that hasn't even given this some thought. What? When I'm sick, I should pray? I should confess sin? Yeah. We don't know better nowadays that brain disorders and epilepsy aren't demon possession. The Bible is not some sort of book that's been outdated. People get sick today because of sin. And it would be wrong to think that this is never the case, but it would be equally wrong to think that this is always the case. One more scripture passage story to just confirm this last little line. It would be equally wrong for you to think every time you get sick, anytime something bad happens, you, well, it's because I sinned. John chapter 9. Jesus saw a blind man who was blind from his birth. His disciples said, Rabbi, who was it that sinned to this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, you and I might think, that's a dumb question. Well, perhaps maybe it's not. Maybe they read Psalm 38. Maybe they read about Miriam. Maybe they know about King Uzziah. Maybe they know that sometimes you're sick and you have disease because of sin. But Jesus answered, oh no, it was not because this man sinned or his parents, but it was so that the work of God would be displayed in him. Do you realize that sometimes you're sick and it has nothing to do with your sin, it has everything to do with the sovereign purposes of God and how he might display his glory through your suffering and your sickness. So we need wisdom. Are you gathering that? Psalms are wisdom literature. They're teaching us that sometimes you're sick because of your sin, and then sometimes you're not. So you need a community of people around you. You need humility. You need a lot of prayer to ask one another, 
Could I have a thorn in my flesh like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11? Because God's preventing me from sinning so that I don't get conceited. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, and realize that you might have an ailment and you ask that God would take it away and it has nothing to do with your sin and has everything to keep you from sinning. Man, the Bible's got all kinds of things to say about this topic, doesn't it? And friends, this is why we gather weekly. This is why we take God's word seriously. And this is why it's so important that you don't just hear a sermon and then you hear a little line and then you go off and misuse the Bible. One-on-one discipleship, community groups, fellowship, meeting with one another like my friend in D.C. and walking through life together week after week and applying God's word to our lives. I think that will be the way to help you understand, am I sick because of my sin? Well, the answer from Psalm 38 is maybe. Maybe you should confess your sins and allow that sickness, whether it is because of your sin or just for God to get your attention. You ever notice how many times it's when you're weak that you turn to God? How many times in your prosperity or in your health, your wholeness, your soundness, that you kind of forget that God's there? Secondly, David's sickness is not just because of his sin, it is precisely because he is in a covenant relationship with God. David has a relationship, a defined, established relationship with God. And if you're not used to reading the Bible, you wouldn't realize that when it says a psalm of David and of remembrance right at the very beginning for the memorial offering, or better translated, I believe, for remembrance. And I believe it's a remembrance of God. I want you to remember your promises that you said you would do. So let's consider the promises of God that God made to David as an Israelite. What did God promise David regarding sin and sickness? Well, first of all, we know from Leviticus and Deuteronomy that if you do not listen to the Lord God and do all of his commandments and you break the covenant, then notice what Leviticus 26, 16 says. The Lord God says, I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease, with fevers. They will consume your eyes and they will make your heart ache. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those are the same two things we see in our psalm. David has two, pro- two main things that he's saying in Psalm 38. I am sick because of my sin. I have disobeyed God. And secondly, my enemies are ru- running over me. I'm being struck down by my enemies. The same thing is repeated in Deuteronomy 28:22. The Lord will strike you down with a wasting disease, with fever, with inflammation, with a fiery heart with drought and blight and mildew. And your enemies will pursue you, and these things will pursue you until you perish. Why did I read you those passages? Because Psalm 38 is an illustration that God is keeping his end of a deal. They made an agreement together. Israel, in Exodus chapter 20 and following, they make a covenant partnership. Think of it like a contract, but more important than that. And one with God. And there's two parties say, here's what you will do, God, and here's what we will do. And God and Israel agreed. They did so willingly. They signed up for this, you could say. David signed up for this kind of treatment. He shouldn't be surprised. David is, in Psalm 38, wasting away with disease. His heart, it aches. Sometimes it's not just the physical pain that you're feeling, but just that deep sorrow that's multiplying the sorrows and pains. That's clearly at play here in Psalm 38. But there's more to this point. 
David is not just in a covenant relationship with God as a general Israelite from the book of Exodus or Leviticus or Deuteronomy. David has actually a second covenantal relationship, a special covenant relationship because David is the king. And this brings us to one of the most important Old Testament passages, 2 Samuel 7. God promised to David and his children that when the king of Israel commits sin, iniquity, I will discipline them with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. So whether you want to look at this from the covenant that God made with Moses or the covenant God made with David, if we understand the whole story of the Bible, God made an arrangement, an agreement, and therefore God is not being unjust. He is not being unfair. He is doing precisely what he promised he would do and what they signed up for. You might even say God's only being righteous and loving by doing precisely the thing that he said he would do to his children. I wonder if any of you think, all right, well, if David agreed to this, then what's the point of Psalm 38? Like, why did he even write this prayer in the first place? Why is he asking for relief? In light of the covenantal context, don't you think Psalm 38, perhaps, on one read, feels inappropriate? Like, maybe you're looking down at David now and saying, yeah, David, suck it up. Deal with it, bucko. Why are you turning to God and asking for relief in verse 1? You should expect that if you sinned and you disobeyed, this is what you signed up for. Some of us that are more legal-minded, we're thinking, that sounds right to me. Some of you that are a little bit more empathetic, you're like, well, where's grace, you know? Why is David waiting upon the Lord in verse 15? How do you make sense of verses 21 and 22? Perhaps David should just quit whining and complaining. Come on, David, this is what you deserve. Don't even waste your breath praying to God. He's not going to change his mind. This is a covenant. He is fulfilling his duty. So I think there's a little bit of tension between this psalm. On the one hand, we understand why it exists. On the other hand, we don't. So why does it exist? Why does David turn to God and he do so affectionately? Wouldn't you think that if you were stuck in a debilitating disease, a sickness, and you felt like David did in Psalm 38, that you might want to just reject God altogether, oh, if this is what God's like. But this is precisely what David does not do. He waits upon the Lord. He cries out to him. Look at the last two lines, 21 and 22. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Where does he get the confidence to speak to God like this? Why does he use Psalm 38 when he's sick as a way to address his sickness and pray for God to give him relief? Well, that brings us to our third and final point. David's not just sick because of his sickness or because of the covenant relationship he has. But third and finally, David is sick because of God's love. What David does by requesting for God to relieve him of his pains and sorrows is showing us that David knows the difference between the almighty, unyielding wrath of God punishing sinners and the infinite love of the disciplining Father. Do you understand the difference between those two? Let me give you the options again. On the one hand, either this is the unyielding wrath of the Almighty God as judge, 
or David's sickness and the discipline is God's infinite love as a father disciplining his children. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5, that same book that we referenced, that when someone breaks God's commandments, they might get sick. Deuteronomy also says this in chapter 8, verse 5, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God will discipline you. I encourage all of you to take Deuteronomy 8, 5 to heart, precisely as it encourages you to do. Know this in your heart. That just like a good father will discipline his child, so the Lord your God will discipline you. I was convinced as I was studying Psalm 38 and prepping this message and thinking about its point and its purpose, I thought, you know, I think a lot of people might come to church this Sunday and they will not use Psalm 38 when they get sick because they do not know this third and final point. They don't know it in their heart. They might intellectually ascend, okay, God loves people. God loves you and he demonstrates his love for you by discipline. The Lord's discipline of his children is never punitive punishment of retribution. Retribution is just a bigger, fancy word to say, you did this, so you deserve this. God's discipline of his children is never punitive retribution. It is always instructional, remedial, restorative, redemptive. It brings about reconciliation. The only exception in the Bible is when it is described as decisive judgment against a non-believer, which should be a severe warning for any of you today that have not put your faith and trust in the God of the Bible. There is either unyielding wrath of the almighty judge or there is the love of a father who cares for his children which best describes your covenantal relationship with God for in fact God's discipline and punishment is not just a mark of his love it is a sign of his faithfulness to his covenant and it reveals to you if you are receiving it that you in fact are a child of God David prays in Psalm 38, do not forsake me. I think he says that prayer because he knows that God has promised to never forsake him. I read for me from 2 Samuel chapter 7. David's in a special covenant relationship with God because he's a king. And I said that when the king sins, he should expect discipline as a son. But I pause there. You know, Sermons make you think about one thing at a time. I want you to think about the rest of the verse. In verse 15 of 2 Samuel 7, God declares to David, but my steadfast love will never depart from the king of Israel. Your house and your kingdom will be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Psalm 38 should make sense now. How can David both acknowledge that he has received the disciplinary hand of the Lord, sickness because of his sin, but at the same time pray that God would not forsake him and be confident that he could turn to him and pray for help and relief? I think because God has specifically promised that on the throne of David, God will never forsake his king. And therefore David knows in his heart, like Deuteronomy 8.5 says, that his God is a father. That his discipline is love. 
I don't know when we'll get to Psalm 94. We're working our way, aren't we? Psalm 41 is around the corner. We'll take a little break, and then we're going to have a teaching series from the New Testament, and then we'll get back to book two of the Psalms. It, it might be years, is what I'm getting at. So, maybe before we wait that long, Psalm 94, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord. Blessed, happy, is the man who is disciplined. Man, I just feel like I keep saying things that are like, this is so upside down, isn't it? This is not the normal way we just naturally think. It's as if every week we need God's word to reorient the way we think about God and the world and our sin and how all of that works. Submission to the blessings of God's rebuke is a proper attitude for us to have. This is how God protects you from sinning. Do any of you just hate your sin? So sick of your sin, and then actually maybe sick because of your sin. Either way, God in his kindness will discipline and bring it out to the light, not to embarrass you, but to restore you. This is precisely what Proverbs 3 says, and then Hebrews quotes. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. The Lord loves his children and reproves them like a father does his son in whom he delights. And then in the New Testament, quoting that passage from Proverbs chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews says, it is for discipline that you have to endure the Christian life. God is treating each of you as sons, as daughters. And which child is there that a father would not discipline? Well, only a child that he does not love is the assumed response to that question. So look at your life. Are you lacking discipline? Are you lacking the fatherly discipline of God? Well, then that might show that you are an illegitimate child and actually not a son or daughter of God. Isn't it interesting the way the New Testament doubles down on this and says it's not just that God does this to love you. It's showing you that you're truly a child of God when you receive it. For all discipline at the moment seems painful. Need an example? Read Psalm 38. I mean, David does not seem pleasant at all. In fact, he is overwhelmed and overcome by this, that he's asking God, I don't know if I can take it anymore. And I think that that's appropriate, which is why the big idea is use Psalm 38. Because of the covenantal relationship that you can have with the Heavenly Father, you can come to him with confidence that he will hear you, and that you can be raw and honest about your overwhelmed feelings. One commentator, I think, rightly pointed out, Perhaps it was God's purpose all along with David's sickness to drive him to the point of despair that he would give up and say, God, I can't take it anymore. And that's precisely when God relented. How many times has that seemed to be the case as we walk through the Christian life? God brings us to the very end of ourselves and we stop relying on our own strength and our successes and our moral Resume and God reveals that we need him. And so we cry out to him in that desperation. That's Psalm 38, so use it. Put it as a tool in your tool belt for when you're sick. James Montgomery Boyce has four questions. I didn't write them down, so I don't remember them all. But four questions you should have when you get sick. And the first one is, did you sin? Second one is, is there something that he's trying to refine in your character, even if it's not related to your sin? And then there's two or three others. Great questions. That's the point of today's message. 
The Bible teaches that we should joyfully receive God's discipline like a child that's growing to understand who God is, sin in the world, the seriousness of it, so that we would turn from our sin and receive the adoption that we have as his children. And to be sure, this is hard. It is not pleasant. You don't need to go around and say, rejoice, rejoice, happy clappy. Haven't you seen time and time again that the Psalms are filled with just angst and pain and sorrow for a variety of reasons? So unless you are apart from the Lord Jesus Christ and you have not repented of your sin and put your faith and your hope in the finished work of Christ on the cross, then you can be confident that just like David, discipline is always meant for restoration and not judgment or punishment. I think it might be important for you to maybe clarify your terms. I know when I'm talking to my children, sometimes I use, well, you're going to be punished for your sin, your, sin, your, di- your disobedience, punished. Perhaps discipline would be better. Think carefully about the words you use when you're talking about disciplining your children so they don't have the category of God is punishing me. You can know for sure that you are a child of God and you can know for sure that God is not punishing you because Jesus, as he died on the cross, he bore the wounds of the son of David, the king. 2 Samuel chapter 7 says that if a son on the throne of David sins, then they will be beaten by the rods of men. And it's interesting, isn't it, when you read about the story of Jesus, that first and foremost, he never sinned. But he was declared time and time again as the son of David. But that at the end of his life, he was beaten literally with the rods of men. And this was so that you and I would not receive the chastisement, the rebuke, and the punishment that sin deserves. Instead, you receive mercy. The greater son of David, Jesus Christ at the cross, took on the retribution of sins. Therefore, all of us could experience God's punishment as discipline. And therefore, in the local church, we exercise church discipline, not to condemn people, not as punishment per se, but as loving discipline. We are in a covenant relationship with God. The fact that we take the Lord's Supper is a way for us to renew our covenant every week, for us to be reminded of God's promises to us and our promises to be faithful to God. So brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian here today, we're about to take the Lord's Supper. Before we do, I wanna give each of you time to confess your sin in your seat. Because, as we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you take it in an unworthy manner repeatedly, time and time again, unrepentant sin, you might get sick. You might even die as a judgment, as a discipline from God. So walk in a worthy manner in the community of the faith. More importantly, make sure your relationships in the local church, that they're at peace. The way Romans 12 says, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with everyone. And I think one of the main contexts of how to apply 1 Corinthians 11 in the Lord's Supper is that we renew our covenant, not just with God, but with each other. And that sort of renewal of our covenant reminds us to keep short accounts, to forgive each other. Everything in the Bible is pointing us to this moment 
when Jesus Christ would die, would rise again, ascend to heaven, and pour out his spirit so that you and I could receive these truths into our heart and know that the God of the universe, the one who created everything and made this world good, he made the world so we would live in harmony with him. But because of our sin and rebellion against God, there are painful consequences for our sin. And that's why Jesus Christ came and he paid the penalty that we deserve for it so that we, we could sip on the cup of joy because he sipped on a cup of sorrow. We could receive God's blessing because he was cursed as he hung on a tree. Don't you see how the cross makes Psalm 38 possible for you to use? And that it displays more than anything the love of God and that he can be both just and the justifier of the ungodly. Because if God's going to be true to his covenant promises, well, what's he going to do with the sinners that keep sinning and they deserve a punishment? Well, there was one who stood in our place, who stood before the judge, and he received the almighty, unrelenting wrath of God on the cross. And that one, Jesus Christ, offers to you and to me a gift, a gift of salvation, so that we can declare, as David does at the end, do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. You can have confidence that God will not forsake you because he forsaked Jesus Christ on the cross. You can have confidence that God will not be far from you and he's actually near you, that his hand is heavy upon you in those moments of trial and suffering and sin precisely because he loves you and he's close to you and he wants to be even nearer to you rather than further away. So turn and run to him and know that he will make haste. He will come and help you because he is the God of salvation. The Lord who is David's salvation is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I hope that it's clearer today what it means to be one. One who has been convicted like David. My sin has led to ruin and sorrow and suffering. Turn right now in your seat. Repent and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for the hope of his fatherly discipline to keep you from sin. Yesterday I was talking to a couple church members and I said, isn't it great that God doesn't just deal with the penalty of sin in Christ, but the power and the presence of sin in our hearts? And one of the ways he does that is in fact Psalm 38, fatherly discipline to the children he loves. So we're going to conclude now in a time of prayer. I want to give you the space for a moment of silence, for you to take it in and confess any and every sin to God, specific ones, or confess sins that, God, I don't even know, but maybe there's a sin you need to reveal to me, but either way, I'm a sinner, and I repent, and I ask for your forgiveness. I have wronged you. Or as David says in Psalm 38, I am sorry for my sin. Let's do that now.